And uh, back then, it was, it was going to a new hip joint, and now it's getting a new hip joint. Back then, Rolling Stones, now Kidney Stones. Uh, back then, it was Disco, now it's Costco, and back then, it was whatever, and now it's Depends. And, uh, you know, and I know, I know, that's really bad. <laughs> really, really bad. But, you know, the seven ages of life are spills, drills, thrills, bills, ills, pills, and wills. And it goes by so quickly. I mean, you think about the changes just electronically. Hi, bud. You look nice in your tie. Okay. Uh, back then, we used to call people. And we replaced it with tweeting and texting and emailing. Back then we had classifieds in newspapers, uh, dial-up internet, encyclopedias. Remember when you paid five, $600 for a set of encyclopedias because you wanted to be up and have current information? <laughs> uh, landline phones, yellow pages, address books, catalogs, fax machines, wires, handwritten letters. I mean, times have changed. My have changed. And, but we come back to the question, how am I doing on change? I mean, I want to just get right to it. That I mean, God loves you and me. And he wants us to come to him just as we are. And he accepts us just as we are. And we come in and we sing just as I am, but often we leave as we were. But God loves us too much to leave us that way. He wants us to grow deeply into him. He wants us to be fruitful and pass that fruit on to other people and let them enjoy not just the shade of the tree, but the nourishment that comes from it. And God wants to change us into his image. If any man be in Christ, he's a new creation. But it doesn't happen overnight. It's not a microwave Christianity. It's, it's a crockpot Christianity. And there is no constant light change. You realize that things are starting to deteriorate, whether it's opening the car door or the seats are starting to tear or the radio doesn't work. You have a radio. Or you go home and you realize the fence needs repairing or the wall needs some paint. Everything in life slows down at some point and begins to deteriorate unless there's another force behind it. To keep moving it forward. little theology here before we head into a, a text. The only constant in life is your God. He's fixed. He's in unchanging. You don't need to change perfection. Malachi chapter 3 verse 6. God, ne God never changes but he wants to change us. He uses words like sovereign and immutable, unchanging. I, the Lord, do not change because there's no need for him to change. We can't improve on him. There's no new improved God. You don't mess with perfection. It's Jesus Christ, the same yesterday, today, and forever. Well, I want to share with you a passage of Scripture. It's, it's a great it's a great passage for men and boys and women and girls. It's a fishing story. Luke 5, first 11 verses. And it goes like this. 
One day as Jesus was standing by the lake of Gennesaret or Galilee with the people crowding around him listening to the word of God he saw at the water's edge two boats left there by the fishermen who were washing their nets. He got into one of the boats, the one belonging to Simon and asked him to put out a little from the shore and then he sat down and taught the people from the boat. And when he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, put out into the deep water and let down the nets for a catch. And Simon answered, Master, we've worked hard all night and haven't caught anything, but because you say so, I will let down the nets. Well, the first thought here is that we need to have a willingness to change. A willingness to change. I mean, think about it. <clears throat> Peter, James, and John in sailboats out on the deep blue sea. They're fishermen. They're professionals. They're businessmen. They have a business. They've worked at night because that's when you work at, you do your, your trade. You fish during the night because it's too warm during the day. The fish are lower. You're, and you troll with nets. And Jesus is asking them as they're cleaning their nets, which is no small task, guys, let's go out again. And they've caught nothing all night. It was a bad day at the office. And all their colleagues are around cleaning their nets who probably haven't caught either. And Jesus is asking them to do something absolutely insane if you're a professional fisherman. Go out during the day. Just drop your nets. Quit trolling. He's asking them to fish at a different time in a different way. He's telling them as professionals, trust me. And because Jesus' reputation has preceded him, I mean, he's been thrown out of a number of synagogues. He's got authority that the crowds are flocking to, and he's got some peeled people who are testifying to the fact that this Jesus is different. He healed me. He brought peace to my life. Those demons are gone. He speaks with authority. He's doing things and he tells us to be quiet about them. That's different from our culture. And so because you say so, Peter says, I'll let down the nets. There's a willingness to change. I, I think about, I mean, wherever the Apostle Paul went, there was a revolution. Joe Bailey said, wherever I go, they serve tea. <laughs> I mean, am I making a difference in in, in the kingdom? Am I, does my life matter? Am I moving out in faith and am I willing to change? I think of some of us, you know, we, we've given up. Some of us gave up when we were younger. Maybe even in the home when someone said, you'll never amount to anything. You can't do anything. You'll never do this. And pretty soon, it's, it's, it's like the elephant that's got a memory that holds on to those things. A friend once told me the story of a friend of his. He had gone to Phoenix because there was a fr guy, a uh, friend of his, who trained animals for the movies, and they were involved in training some animal, animals at the circus there. 
And he noticed one thing quite unusual. There was a little guy, a little elephant, 300-pound elephant, staked to this stake with a chain. And there was a big 20,000-pound elephant chained to the same stake. And his question was a legitimate one. How do you keep a 20,000-pound elephant chained to a stake when they could just move their leg and pull that stake? And it's something like us when someone said something to us, pierced our heart, killed our vision, our motivation, or made us believe that what they were saying was true. And zap, that, that plugs in to our brain and forever we remember it, not realizing we have the power to change. We have the power to pull up stakes and to make a difference. In my life, in your life, the life of our world. But we have to be willing to change. Secondly, we need to have a willingness to resist, to risk and take a chance. That word mediocre, mediocrity. Media, halfway, Acres Mountain. Some of us, we are risk takers and we're courageous and daring and we begin to climb despite the cliffs and some of the dangers involved. And in fact, some of us find great thrill in conquering. There are others of us who are more like caretakers, <clears throat> maintaining the status quo, going up halfway, but never finishing the journey. And then there are some who are undertakers who are apathetic and dead to any cause, especially becoming Christ-like. A willingness to risk. I, Sir Leonard Wolf, you probably knew him best, knew his wife best, Virginia Wolf, member of parliament, 57 years. <clears throat> he wrote these very sad words. Looking back at the age of 88 over the 57 years of my political work in England, knowing what I aimed at and the results, meditating on the history of Britain and the world since 1914, I clearly see that I achieved practically nothing. The world today and the history of the human anthill during the last 57 years would be exactly the same as if it, I had played ping pong instead of sitting on committees and writing books and memoranda. I have, therefore, to make the rather ignominious confession to myself and to anyone who reads my memoirs that I must have in a long life ground through between 150,000 and 200,000 hours of perfectly useless work. How sad. How sad. A willingness to change, a willingness to risk. But for some of us, I mean, change is, in, is invigorating. Because we've experienced success, none of us 100%, none of us 80%. But even if you experience 50% or 40%, you're moving forward. For others, it's unbearable. But change is inevitable for all of us because it will happen if there's not some momentum behind it. There are seven cyclical needs for anyone or anything living. They just go like this. Healthy things grow. Growing things change. 
Yeah, changing things challenges. Because challenges force us to trust. But trust leads to obedience. And obedience makes me healthy. And healthy things grow. We were doing Camp Grammy and Papa a couple of years ago with the kids. We have eight grandkids. We, we get them for three days without their parents and develop a curriculum around whatever we, after we've talked to their parents, you know, what are the needs in each of the kids as we pray for them? We want to develop this to have a shot at uh, teaching them out of our lives and out of our failures. And so we did, we, you know, what do you do when you're in hot water? And we threw in a carrot, we threw in a, a tea bag, and we threw in an egg. And we all respond differently. And we, in fact, we were talking about temper before, and we, I had gone out and, and I poured foolishly gasoline all over some logs, unbeknownst to the kids, and lit a match, and boom, it went up. And then we talked about the importance of simmering. <laughs> and Grammy fixed some tea for them, some hot chocolate, actually, and we had the teapot going and how slowly it came. And then we boiled that water and put in the egg, the egg, the egg, the tea bag, and the carrot. And we said, now watch what happens when all three of these items, how they respond to being in hot water. And the kids' eyes began to open because, you know, the carrot just fell apart. It became limp. The egg got hard. But the tea bag, instead it changed the water. The water didn't change yet. And for our lives when we're risking things, you know, God is with us through those hard times, those hot times, those and men and women. I'm not telling you anything you don't know, but I'm reminding you, don't quit shying away from hot water. Because God will use you in the times of, of stress and in brokenness better than he will when things are going really great. I mean, why do we know about Corey Ten Boom? Why do we know about Johnny Erickson Tata? By the way, pray for them. Their home is in Agura. And, and the home is in Calabasas, and their, and their ministry location, their building is in Agura, along with a number of our friends, your friends. None of us, every one of us, I should say, knows someone who's dealing with hot water <laughs> a willingness to change a willingness to risk take a chance in fact the passage here is when they finished speaking he said to Simon put out into the deep water and let down the nets and Simon answered we worked hard all night haven't caught anything but because you say so I'll let down the nets because you say so, Lord. I will obey because you say so. Not because it's comfortable or I'm not, I have no fear. Third thing is a willingness to work with others. A willingness to work with others. <laughs> uh, verses 6 and 7. When they had done so, they caught such a large number of fish that their nets began to break. So they signaled their partners in the other boat to come and help them. And they came and filled both boats so full that they began to sink. They singled, signaled their partners. 
Peter, James, John, and whoever else was part of their fishing business, come help us. Come help us. Ecclesiastes 4. Two are better than one, for there's a better return for their labor. Woe to the one who has no one to lift him up. A cord of three strands is not quickly broken. I love watching you guys serve breakfast this morning. Get up early. Some of you were probably here, got up at 4.30 to prepare for us. You work together. Watching Greg do his thing, bring order, organization. And each of you using your gifts, God bless you. Keep signaling to your partners. There needs to be synergy with the energy. No Lone Ranger stuff. Fourth, a willingness to repent. Verses 8, 9, 10. So when Simon Peter saw this, he fell at Jesus' knees and said, Go away from me, Lord. I am a sinful man. For he and all his companions were astonished at the catch of fish they had taken. And so were James and John, the sons of Zebedee, Simon's partners. What was it that he felt so bad about? Because he, man, he, they, those guys made a bundle that day and fish. And I can imagine the rest of the fishermen who had their nets cleaned went back out. And they probably came back in saying, you guys took all of our fish. What was it? Amazement seized them. Well, when you start realizing what God's majesty is all about and obeying him and following him and being blessed by him, you, you can't fathom it. You just can't fathom it. I mean, oh my. But to repent, to repent of unbelief. I, uh, years ago when we were in Santa Barbara, we took a sabbatical and went to England, to, uh, took our boys, studied over there for six weeks with Dr. John Stott at the London Institute. John Stott, a godly theologian, pastor at All Souls Church, uh, one of the chaplains to Queen Elizabeth. Humble, humble man. And there were about 30 of us. So, you know, you get to know a person over time when you're in a small group, watching him interact with my boys and care for people and just be real. But if we were going through the book of Timothy and every time he would teach, he would say, and I've had to repent of that. I have to repent of that. I've had to repent of that. Every time, and I thought, in the churches that I've been a part of, very little is mentioned about confession. Very little time of asking God to forgive because grace is free. <laughs> I mean, we know he forgives. But there's an important thing about saying, I repent. Lord, I want to turn back from where I was going in my beliefs. Maybe no one else knew I needed to repent. But I want to go from here to here. I want, I want to turn a, a change. I want a conversion in a sense. But it starts with admitting a willingness to repent. 
I, uh, I had to repent this morning early. By the way, um, we have this problem in my ministry too. That Mel, you need to teach them where that little button is that you just push off. Very simple, but we all have flip phones and everything. No, I'm, this is part of life. This is part of life, and we are in touch. Okay, but a willingness to repent, a willingness to change, to risk, to work with others, to repent, and a willingness to follow Jesus. These guys, their business changed as a result of this time with Jesus. Then Jesus said to Simon, don't be afraid. From now on, you will catch men. That's not a verse for single women. (laughs) You will be catching people instead of fishies. So they pulled their boats up on shore, left everything and followed him. Talk about a life change. James and John had a reputation. I mean, they, had a, they were called not just sons of Zebedee. They were Zeb's kids. They were also called sons of thunder. I don't think we would have wanted them living next door to us. But at the end of John's life, he gets a new nickname. John the Beloved. He had changed what had changed him. Seeing Jesus at work in his life, changing his goals, his vision, and his purposes, repurposing him, using the talents and skills and the, and the art of fishing to catch men, luring them in with your life and with truth, luring them in with grace and kindness, with a listening ear, with helpful hands, grounded in truth, depending on God. They had seen it all right there. Well, is it safe? You may be familiar with the Chronicles of Narnia by C.S. Lewis. In his fourth book of that series, The Silver Chair, it involves a little girl named Jill who found herself in a strange land, stranded in the woods because of her own pride and foolishness. She's lost and lonely and thirsty, and she hears the gurgling of a brook and follows the sound. And when she gets closer to the stream, she sees Aslan the lion, symbolic of Christ, lying across her path to the stream. Here's what they say. Are you not thirsty, said the lion? Oh, I'm dying of thirst, said Jill. Then drink, said the lion. May I? Could I? Would you mind going away while I do, said Jill? The lion answered this only by a look and a very low growl. And as Jill gazed at its motionless bulk, she realized that she might as well have asked the whole mountain to move aside for her convenience. The delicious rippling noise of the stream was driving her nearly frantic. Will you promise not to do anything to me if I do come, said Jill? I make no promise, said the lion. Jill was so thirsty now that without noticing it, she had come a step nearer. Do you eat girls, she said. Oh, I've swallowed up girls and boys, women and men, 
kings and emperors, cities and realms, said the lion. He didn't say this as if it were boasting, nor as if it were sorry, nor as if it were angry. He just said it. Well, then I dare not come and drink, said Jill. Then you will die of thirst, said the lion. Oh, dear, said Jill, coming another step nearer. I suppose I must go and look for another stream. There is no other stream, said the lion. Never occurred to Jill to disbelieve the lion. No one who had seen his stern face could do that, and her mind suddenly made itself up. It was the worst thing that she ever had to do, but she went forward to the stream, knelt down, and began scooping up water in her hand. It was the coldest, most refreshing water she had ever tasted. After a victory, we know that refreshment. When Christ has come in and taken, whether it's an addiction or a problem or a mountain away from us, and unloaded the burden on our back and our hearts and our heads. But is he safe? No. <laughs> But he's good. And so as we move ahead to this idea of change, not just an idea, may it become a reality for us. May we be willing to risk. May we be willing to work together and partner. May we be willing to repent and enjoy God's grace. And may we be willing to follow Jesus. That's my prayer for each of us, including myself. And so, Father, I pray your blessing on everyone here from these little children, these men and women, many who have served us and have stories that they won't tell because of the pain. Father, may the Lord bless them. May you bless them. May you let them know that you have their best interest in mind for not just the rest of this day, but the rest of this life. May the Lord keep each one of you, <clears throat> not just protect your bodies, but your minds and your hearts, your dreams. May the Lord lift up his countenance upon you. May you see him holding your head in his hands, smiling, because many of you never saw that Jesus. You saw him frowning. You heard he was mean and demanding, not good. May the Lord be gracious to you so that when you get bumped even today, that grace will get all over everyone in the room. May the Lord make his face shine on you. May you sense his presence. May he reflect off your face so that people can see him even when they don't know him. And as you go from this place, may God give you peace in your venture of allowing him to change your life. And I pray that for myself as well. God bless you.